This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Went to Mo Kings Meadow. I'm your host Dean and this week I continue my quest to gain knowledge about all things Chelsea FC women by taking a look at the season so far. We'll also look ahead to our game against West Ham United and discuss the important news from Kings Meadow. As ever I'm joined by my co-host Jane. Jane how are you? I'm doing great Dean, thank you for asking. It's been a stressful day. I've heard, but... let's leave that for later. Yeah, but other than that it's all good. Good, good. Uh, so seeing as there's been no fans at Kings Meadow so far, I thought it'd be a good idea to have someone who's been able to see the team up close and personal, albeit at a safe social distance. And, and who better than Paul Langan from Capital Football? Paul, how are you doing? I'm fine, Dean. Yourself? Hello, Jane. How are you? I'm yeah. good, thank you, Paul. Nice. So, Paul, before we get started on, on the team, sort of, we sort of ask our guests to sort of introduce themselves and you know how they got into the, the women's team. And so, if you can um, give our listeners a bit of a background about yourself and, and how you got into reporting on the team. How we got into reporting on the team? Well, I mean, I've had thirty odd years of reporting sort of professional football, so I've been covering I've been covering men's football all that time. Albeit, I've always had an ear open for the women's game as well. I've seen a few games, early doors, Tony Farmer's um, games, early doors. And um, sort of bit by bit, I've been sort of like getting getting involved in that. But um, it's certainly since the team, we came back to Kings Meadow. I say come back to Kings Meadow because I used to go and watch the reserves play there in the 90s. So going to Kings Meadow was a, was a perfect opportunity for me to sort of uh, take it a little bit more, a step forward. Step, uh, step forward and um, start reporting on the team professionally, I suppose, is the best way to put it. So is it just due to sort of locality or 
with the, sort of the rebirth of the women's super league as it is sort of since. No, no, nothing to do. Nothing to do with the status of of, of of where the team was playing at that time. It was purely location. I mean, it's for me. I was working during the during the day and um, going to places like Watershot or Staines was just out of it. Out, out of the you know, just wasn't possible. It wasn't logistically. It wasn't worth the going. We're making you know so, but Kings Meadow is just within the sort of like the orbit of of, of how I was able to uh, get to the game. So yeah, so it's perfect. What sort of so you've spoken about sort of the length of time you've been reporting? What have been the sort of major changes you've seen in the women's game over the past sort of five ten years? Well, I wouldn't say that many for five or ten years. I'm going back maybe on myself, personal personal experience the last four four or five years is that it's very much like the equivalent that back in those days of sort of non-league football, where, you know, you could, you could phone up the non-league ground, say hello to, have a chat with the manager, have a chat with the players, and, uh, you know, go down, meet them afterwards, and uh, watch training, do all that kind of stuff, meet them in the bar, and have a chat to them, get to know them. And, and, and that's, how, that's how you develop relationships. Um, the, the fact that it's now becoming more professional, it's now starting to mirror the men's game in its day-to-day um, -day operations. Um, there's barriers between players and reporters. There's barriers between players, obviously, and, and fans too. And that's uh, to anyone who's been following the men's game for any number of years now will see that. But, but about 30 odd years ago, you could do that with the men's, with, with the men's team, the professional level. You know, I used to go into the bars after the games at Stamford Bridge, chat to the players, and it was fantastic. We had that kind of like one-to-one one-to-one -one, um, sort of relationships but that's now gone by the by it's now very much a corporate enterprise corporate system where the the big club the elite clubs have a, um, a message to put out a brand to put out and they try to sort of coerce everybody to sort of like follow that message so it's a bit more difficult now for, for reporters and certainly for younger reporters they don't know any different now so this is how they're coming into the game so those coming covering the women's game now will start to find a very similar sort of reaction and uh, so at the moment, there's a good rapport between the fans and the, uh, and the players. I mean, as you all know, the, the players come at the end of the game, the pre-COVID, they would come to the you know, side of the pitch and chat and have photographs taken and so forth. And, it's, and it's, a good, it's a good relationship. And that's very much harking back to the early days when I started reporting. But now, bit by bit, we're going to start seeing that kind of barriers sort of creep up between players and the fans but um you know it's a shame but we've still got another couple of seasons left before we start sort of like harking back to the good old days of king's meadow circa sort of 2017. Are there any other sort of main differences between you know when you go to report on a women's game and compared to a men's game or they sort of well, each other more and more? Yeah I take I take what you're saying but reporting as a journalist it doesn't matter it's gender it's not it's not gender specific you know it's exactly the same you treat the women's game I treat the women's games exactly as I treat the men's game so I treat you know in terms of what I speak to how I speak to the players afterwards when I get the opportunity to it's about the same sort of topics it's what's happening within the game what they've done during the game I'd like to feel that you know a reporter is sort of like um, the link between fans and the team you know and, and they, they want to ask the questions that the fans would like to ask you know so I always view it in that way whereas the clubs sometimes view it slightly differently and try to steer the sort of questioning and the responses to their own sort of corporate or their own corporate sort of like um, um, perspective. But um, but no, in terms of actual reporting, no, I treat the men, the men and the women in exactly the same way, and that's the only way it should be. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be gender specific at all. 
Yeah, so sort of with the men's game, you hear a lot of journalists complain that the sort of players walk through the mix zone with the headphones and hoodies up and they don't want to communicate with them. Um, with the journalist, the women's game sort of similar to that, or is there players that love talking to you? Well, I mean, I think it's down to individual personalities. They're the similar sort of characteristics, whether it's men or women. You know, for those who are not familiar with the mix zones, it's a sort of like it's a peer, it's it's a place where uh, the the players come out of their changing rooms and before they get into their coaches, they have to pass they have to pass the the journalists, and journalists can stop them and talk to them if they can, if they want to. And um, it's classic examples of players who can't be asked, can't be bothered. And, um, you know, and they put up their earphones on or they pretend they've got passports instead of microphone, uh, in, instead of mobile phones. They do all that kind of stuff. But, and also what we're finding is lots of, we're doing the pre-arranged meetings in mix zones as well. So, you know, we're agreeing with the, with the clubs beforehand who we're going to be speaking to in the mix zone. So it's, again, it's a little bit of like, um, it's, you know, we're, we're being coerced a little bit into who we're going to speak, who we're going to get. But we can offer, we can say, I want to speak to Millie Dry, I want to speak to Frank Kirby and so forth. And in, by and large, in the women's game in particular, we kind of like, if, if, if they're available, we, we get who we want. Generally speaking, the women are fantastic to speak to. There's some wonderful characters within, you know, the women's team, Chelsea's team in particular. And uh, it's always great to speak to those. Which of the players is sort of the their favourite to talk to, the one you sort of want to get the best quotes out of? Oh, that's difficult. I think, you know, because if any of them are listening to, to this podcast now, and I'm sure they are, they'd be saying, well, you know, it's all, it's all, you know why has why he mentioned me, you know? But, um, I mean, I love speaking to Fran. I mean, I've been speaking to Fran now for quite some time. Fran Kirby for quite some time. She's lovely to speak to. And you have a rapport after a while, you know, they suddenly realise that, yes, you are a sort of like a, a middle-aged man you know talking to me they, they, they don't feel that you know there's any kind of um barrier there anymore now and certain players they recognize you for instance and they're sort of they feel comfortable so uh, people like fran are wonderful i've spoken to her for many years now um who, who else now within the women's there's a few there's a few there's a few of them i mean i don't want to go in too depth into too many certainly the ones who, who would walk past you but there are some who are just very quiet and you know and uh, you have to you have to respect that as well but most of them, by and large, if you ask for them after a game, you, they'll come up and have a chat. And they are very eloquent. They're very, very eloquent. And it's wonderful to speak to them. Yeah, you see a lot of um, social media, the players going to the fans. Sort of Jane, as a supporter, who are the sort of favourites that come to the crowd? Um, Magda is always one that will come over at the end. Beth, Millie. They pretty much all do come over. If they've got to go straight in for reasons but other than that they no, normally do all come over at least to see a couple of people yeah do you think that's something driven by sort of emma as a as a coach understanding that fans and the team need to go as one um i think it's a bit like mix i don't think emma pushes them to go i think it is down to it's down to the person i think whether they want to come over there was I'm not going to mention any players names but there was a few players last season that just wouldn't bother at all like to come over then others would come over every single game to see fans after the game so it's down to the individual I think there's a little bit of an issue not so much an issue as such but a bit of a an understanding because a lot, lot of the new foreign players haven't really experienced how it happens over here in England. You know, I'm not sure whether it happens in Sweden or Germany or in France, where they would go over and chat to the, uh, the fans. But certainly it's a, it's a cultural thing in the English game, 
where the fans, where the players come over and chat to the fans. And I think, you know, whilst, you know, you know the, the English-based players and Scottish-based players understand that and they sort of like come over quite often, it's the new foreign players who perhaps don't really understand that. Uh, uh, that, that mechanism and it takes a little bit of a while for them to go over. and as you say Magda is fantastic she understands that that's why she's captain she, she's very smart so yeah, talking, yeah talking of supporters Paul what have you noticed sort of the most since there have been no supporters in the grounds has it had a big impact yeah. on the team do you feel I think I'm not I'm not sure whether it's had an impact on the team as, as such it's difficult really to say I mean I think I heard Guardiola Pep Guardiola talking about the lack of joy in games, you know, at, at the weekend, and uh, and I think uh, I, I think we're beginning to understand that. And I think football administrators, I think football clubs, elite clubs as well, in particular, are beginning to recognise that actually the fans make make a a major part of the spectacle that is you know professional elite football, and uh, their absence has, has has thrown a light on that. And uh, I think they're now beginning to respect fans now a bit more. And hopefully when fans will come back in, in, in their droves, the clubs will be able to sort of like uh, show a little bit more respect to the fans in terms of scheduling of matches and so forth, particularly for away fans, and show a little bit more respect in, 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 that, in that area. But um, certainly their absence has, um, has um, uh, shone a light on that. And uh, in terms of the team performances, I think so. I think so. I think there has been some effects. I mean, I've noticed this, this season in particular, there's been a drop-off in performance levels of individual players. Now, maybe that's, you know, Emma's game plans have sort of stopped them from doing the sort of things they've been doing previously. It's difficult to say, really. But I think there's certainly an element of the fans not being there to sort of like coerce and encourage and give that extra little bit more of an impetus to players. Certainly the uh, sort of explosive players who, who need that kind of adrenaline rush. And Emma herself has said on, 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 on a number of occasions how they missed the fans, how she herself missed the fans. I remember last, uh, last couple of games, uh, she, Emma came over post-match and uh, she started talking to some of the players and uh, staff um, by, by the tunnel there. And, she, and I overheard her saying, you know, it's terrible. You know, the, the fans aren't here to witness this. They're not there, you know, and it's, it's horrible. And she echoed that in her post-match press conference. So it wasn't, it wasn't done for effect. It was something she truly meant. She truly meant. And I think she realises that, uh, you know, the fans, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but they can be that 12th man for the side. And uh, when you're going for trophies and going to win important matches, you know, where the margins are very fine, the, uh, the impetus of having a, a vocal support, uh, you know, f f from the fans can be crucial, can make that difference. So hopefully come Sunday, we'll be able to see that. Yeah, talking of sort of overhearing things, the one thing I sort of have enjoyed is being able to hear the players and the coaching staff and watching it on TV. Is there anything you've sort of picked up on at the ground that maybe you haven't seen or sort of noticed before because you haven't been able to hear it? Well, I mean, I, as I say, I've been following football for quite some time. And I go to a lot of youth team games, you know, I have done over the past, where it's just sort of me and, uh, uh, you know, a dog being walked, you know, sometimes, you know. And so you do hear the... Um, the, the, the the, what, what comes out from the, from the benches and you hear what the players have to say. And uh, so none of it is a surprise. I mean, obviously, the, um, if, you, if you listen to it and watch it on television, sometimes they flash up the, uh, the apology for inappropriate language. And so there's, it can be a little bit Anglo-Saxon at times in terms of the response. But I think the players themselves have suddenly realised that they can be heard. And I think the, the, the managers and, and the coaching staff can also feel that they can be heard as well. So it's a little bit of a dynamic that they're not used to at the moment. But um, 
as we saw in the Arsenal-Chelsea um, game just recently, you know, the Arsenal manager wasn't backward and coming forward in some of the uh, things that he had to say to some of the players and, uh, and how he said it. It was, quite, it was quite loud and robust. Yeah, I guess they're going to have to get used to... Now they've got used to not having fans, it's going to go back the other way and it might be a bit of a confusing time for them. Sort of having well, I think they'll get. Noise. I think they'll get used to that. I think they'll get used to that. To be perfectly honest, I think I think they'll be happy to have the fans back, and I think there'll be a sense of normality where some of the players who like to hide behind the vocals of the of, of the fans and pretend they can't be heard or they can't hear the managers what hear what they say. I think they'll be quite happy. Then uh, certainly the players that are close to the uh, the dugouts will be uh, will be a lot happier that they uh, that they can pretend they can't hear the uh, the bench shouting at them. Right, let's um, move on to the season so far. Chelsea currently sit third in the table on 14 points behind Manchester United on 17 points, then Arsenal on 16 points. But they do have a game behind over United and also a superior goal difference. So a chance to leapfrog those two teams and take top spot if they win that game in hand. Uh, Paul, what have you made of the team start to the season so far? Well, I mean, as you say, they've been they've been they're unbeaten. I mean, they they have been unbeaten for quite some time now, twenty seven, twenty six games or so forth. So you can't really argue in terms of the actual results that they've been getting. But they've drawn twice. They've drawn twice. They've drawn against Manchester United at the beginning of the season, and then they just recently drawn against Arsenal. So you worry really that at the end of the season that those two dropped points may may have an effect. But um, it'll only have an effect if uh, if Chelsea don't beat them in in the return fixtures. So um, there was a lot of hope and expectation. I was up at the uh, the first game at, Man- up at Manchester, and um, it was disappointing that they came away with only a point in that game. They should have really won that one, and I think that was a, that that's kind of set a bit of a, a marker for the rest of the season. They were a little bit worried, I think, from that point onwards. But they responded quite well. I mean, they were lucky. You know, they played people like I don't know. They beat Man City, obviously, previously, just before that, in, in, in the Community Shield. So they had, in, in the back of their minds, they always had the, the fact that they knew they could score goals um, and they weren't conceding too well, uh, too many as well. So I think they always felt, within, as, as, as a squad, that they were going to be doing really, really well. But I think, from an individual point of view, individual players' point of view, I think there's been a few of them that haven't quite reached the heights of the past couple of seasons. And, uh, and whilst they're still performing at that level, um, and and the team is still getting the points, and they're still in the position to take the the, the title once they uh, play their game in hand against Aston Villa. That take the take the lead, I should say, against Aston Villa. They, um, I think, there's more to come for the remainder the rest of the season. I think the the season's only really just started now, and I think they're going to be warming up a little bit more. And I think that we're going to be seeing some more exciting uh, play and um, a bit more attacking play and a little bit more dominating in terms of uh, the opposition. So I'm quite quietly confident that things are moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned being at um, the one all drawing Manchester uh, against United, um, sort of a new team, sort of in the WSL. Do you think that draw signifies sort of another challenger for the for the league title, or is that sort of too early for for United? No, no, no. Man United are they're right up there. They're right up there. I mean, you know, the the, the purchases they made, you know, of um, Tobin and Press. I mean, in particular, have been. Have, have, have made the difference. I mean, um, when a club makes an investment of, of that calibre, 
uh, they will be expected to succeed, and 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 they're doing that. I mean, Chelsea are playing West Ham, for instance, on um, on Sunday, and I know for a fact that uh, the, that the manager who just left, Mark Beard, he was offered, he was offered all those American players, he was offered with the exception of the uh, the Sals, he, he was offered, he was offered Lewis, he was offered um, uh, Press, he was offered um, Alex Morgan. And to be fair, most of the WSL clubs were, were offered all these players, all these American players. Now, if West Ham had gone out and bitten the bullet and started to invest in those players, then I think we'd find that you know West Ham would be the team that'd be sitting at the top now, rather than Manchester United. So, you know, United have taken advantage of what was available, and um, they're, reaping, they're currently reaping the benefits of that. So, yeah, they're definitely in there. They're definitely in there. And um, but from what we saw from up at Manchester. They're very much a defence orientated side who likes to counter-attack. And I think when, when the reverse fixture at King's Meadow comes along, I think uh, Emma will be more than uh, prepared for that. And uh, yeah, that's one of those must-win games if they're going to win the title this year. Yeah, so I'll quickly run through the sort of results so far uh, we've had. So, obviously, the season started with a Community Shield win against Manchester City. And then we had that one-all draw with Manchester United. We followed that with a 9-0 thrashing of Bristol City. Um, into October again we beat Manchester City um, 3-1 uh, ended October with a 1-0 away win at Birmingham City uh, we also had a 4-1 win over Arsenal in the first game of the FA WSL Cup uh, November started with a 2-0 win over Tottenham in the Continental Cup and that was followed with an impressive 4-0 victory against Everton um, while the one-all draw with Arsenal that we've previously mentioned was our last competitive fixture before this international break um, so out of this set of results Paul what do you think would have pleased them the most and which one do you think she'd be most frustrated about? Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ooh, good question. Excellent question. Now, I th- it's difficult because Emma, I think she's, she's, a, she's an arch pragmatist, you know. I think she realises that every individual team presents its own particular problems. 
and I think and, uh, and, and the way the team over, has overcome most of those problems. Uh, in terms of most, I think she's most happiest with is probably, it may not be the obvious one, but it's the away win at Birmingham, the 1-0 win, because that was the sort of game which the season before last, you know, they, they drew and they drew a host of games similar to that. And uh, by the end of the, this, is very on early in that season. And by the, by the end of I think, October, early, middle of November, Chelsea were effectively out of the title race. So that was one of those sort of games where she couldn't, they could, Chelsea previously would have dropped, could have dropped some points, possibly even lost. But they won that game and they won it, and they won it comfortably well, despite the fact it was only a one, it was only a one nil. There was a host of chances they, that went missing. So I think that one in particular, I think you should be particularly pleased with. Obviously, when you play Manchester City and you play Arsenal, it doesn't really matter, you know, in what competition you're playing them in. But, you know, if, you, if you're going to beat them in the league, that makes it even better. So, um, so I think you should be really happy with that one also. So I don't think she's disappointed of any of, of, any of the results. But I think she may be disappointed with some individual performances and some of the her game plan hasn't hadn't materialised on the pitch. But it's still early in the season and players are still getting to know each other, still trying to form relationships. So it's um, it, it bodes well for the remainder of the season, I think more so. And the fact that they're still in with in in, in the title hunt at this part of the season, well, it, it is job done in terms of the first part, you know, first third of the season. So she'd be happy overall. So which of the players sort of stood out sort of the most to you, the most impressive? Well, funnily enough, I suppose um, it's interesting one that because I mean, Jenna, Jenna Anderson, um, Anderson, I suppose at left back has played really, really, really well. I think the defence has played particularly well. I mean, with, but you'd expect that with Mielder, you'd expect that with Ericsson, you'd expect that with Millie Bright. Uh, I think there's always a sense that we, you know, they weren't quite sure about the left back position. And um, but uh, John Anderson, she's taken it. Anderson, she's taken it you know, by the scruff of the neck, and I think she's now realising what's required from her, and uh, she, she's producing the goods are high level and, and 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 consistently as well. So I think that's was that's that that's a pleasing point. Um, we're still waiting to see how the mix of the relationship between Beth and um, Beth England and Sam Kerr pans out. But we've still got Fran to come back, and Fran thankfully now is fit and well, and she's training with the players now. So. Hopefully she'll be ready to go on on, um, on on Sunday. So there's a few players there that um, I'm looking to see, you know, back in the side. I'm looking to see how Melanie Lauper, my apologies for my German pronunciation, how she performs. She's been performing at a seven out of ten, you know, week in week out. But I still think there's a little bit more to come from her as well. So there's a, there's still more to come, I think. And I think that's a really positive thing. If you're a Chelsea fan coming back on, on, on Sunday, you'd be looking forward to seeing a, um, a really high-energy performance and uh, a lot of good individual performances. So when, so when I've been sort of looking into the women's game, sort of a criticism I've, I sort of hear of it is a, there's a, it's a league of have and have-nots. If you look at that top five of United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton and Manchester City, mm. Do you think that will be the same five at the end of the year or any of those teams that are in the bottom half of the table can sort of start challenging a bit bit stronger? No, 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 no. I think, I think that's a fair assessment. I think if you invest in, if you invest in your team in terms of the high calibre of players, of players who have won championships and <laughs> won World Cups, if you start investing in those sort of players and, and they're able to stay a full season and they don't, uh, they don't leave at the end of Christmas to go home, uh, I think if those, those, those teams who've invested, I think, they can be expected to be there and thereabouts, and they've started reasonably well. And so it's so uh, no those those five teams that you specified there they will all they will all be there. I think they'll be the top five come the end of the season. 
um, and it's the case of the top three are probably going to be the the, the Man City, Arsenal, and and and, uh, and Chelsea, I think, um, and possibly Manchester United. Possibly they might they might hang on in there, but certainly those maybe those three or those four of those five. I think Everton are drifting off a little bit now. They had a fantastic start to the season. I think they got the wind knocked out of their sails in the FA Cup there in the final there, but uh, and then Chelsea hammered them the week afterwards. So I think that they need to recover. But uh, so they might still be hanging on the coattails of the top four, but in terms of the rest of them, no, no. I mean Bristol City, unfortunately, when you you know they're 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 dead and buried already, and I think that's a, a fill up for the likes of West Ham and I think that's, and, and and Spurs, who probably feel that they won't go down. They, they, I think they probably feel that they will. It'll be Bristol City that goes down, so they'll be feeling comforted by that, and uh, perhaps they'll play with a little bit more panache themselves, and we, we might see them making the odd shock result, but um, hopefully not against Chelsea. So just sort of wrap that sort of start to the season up. If we're going to sort of give this a rating out of ten, with obviously ten being the best you can have a start to the season, where would you sort of rank this start? Well, I mean, ten. It would have been ten if they'd won every game without conceding a goal, obviously. But um, like I said, I think I've intimated before. Some of the individual performances haven't really sort of like peaked yet. So whilst they're still unbeaten, and uh, I think they are expecting to remain unbeaten, you know, for quite some time, um, I would say it's probably a seven, seven, eight out of ten for me personally. I don't know about you, Jane. How do you feel? Um, I think it's been a good start to the season. Obviously, it's been. It's not we've drawn them a couple of games where we should have we wanted to win all of them so I'd say about a seven six or seven mm. out of ten yeah I think that's an indication of, of the expectations of, of, of the elite clubs and, and club like Chelsea in particular that when they do drop a point it's seen as a bit of a catastrophe and a bit of a worry and so that um, but you know we'll see how it pans out at the end of the season but yeah I think we'll I think six seven Seven and a half out of ten is probably what most fans would would, would say is the is valid for now. Yeah, I think the league table has a little bit of effect on sort of maybe the mentality of scoring the season because they're not top; they are third, even though they have got that game in hand. I think if you see them at the top of the table, maybe you start pushing the sevens to an eights, um, thinking it a bit more positive that way. But yeah, yeah, I think if yeah, I think if the, if the game that they had in hand was against maybe Arsenal or. Or Manchester City, or possibly Man United, then they might think that you know that they'd be slightly worried. But because I believe they'll beat Aston Villa with their game in hand, and I think they know they're going to do that as well. I think they're fairly confident that in their mindset they are already top of the league. If you see what I mean, you know. And so I think that 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 brings itself the self confidence in the individual, and I think collectively they feel that as well. But whilst you're saying it, whilst the reality is the third. You know, I think in their mindset, they already believe that they're, they're, they're top of the league, yeah. Yeah. We're going to move on now to look at the game this weekend against West Ham. And um, Jane's going to take us through the West Ham preview. So, league football resumes this weekend after a couple of weeks of international break, where Chelsea are going to be hosting West Ham at Kings Meadow. This game's going to be extra special because Chelsea are allowing 700 season ticket holders in to watch the game which is very exciting I've had a stressful morning trying to get tickets I was at college I was like, I'm not going to be able to get them but I did lucky enough manage to get a ticket for me and my mum so we're looking forward to watching the game on Sunday Paul will you be at the game? Um, I'll certainly be at the game yes I'll be at the game and um, I, I can echo your, your your sentiments in terms of um, 
getting tickets today because my son is a Chelsea season ticket holder for men and the women, and um, he's uh, he was attempting to get into the uh, into the the waiting room, and he got into the waiting room today to get purchased tickets, and um, and then just as soon as he got into the login system, part of the system, it all fell apart. I mean, it was it was it was a bit traumatic, really. So there was a frantic. Um, conversations I was having with some people at the club and some people in the, in the in email in the ticket office to find out what was going on and I was keeping my um, ears and eyes open now to some of the message boards to see what was happening there and it seemed like there was glitches of galore within the system itself and some of them were in terms of the login details because as you know Jane it would, it would be your season ticket number plus I think your, your date of birth and uh, as being the password and uh, but I think the system was expect was anticipating a different day, month, year uh, sequence, and and, and yeah, I think they, um, they were going for month, day, year, or something like that, which is causing glitches and people not being able to log in. Sorry, Jane. Yes, I mean, was this yeah, there was a lot of people. There was a lot of people on the Chelsea Women Supporters Group saying they can't log in and stuff, and then people even put their date of birth backwards, and it managed to work. So it was mm. stressful for everyone what do you how do you think the team will react having supporters back at the stadium i think i think i think they i think emma needs to brief them carefully pre-match because i think they've been you know in the same way you're used to having a full stadium at king's meadow you also do get used to having no fans there and uh, whilst it's relatively few games they've been they've been playing against uh, six or seven games maybe where they haven't had fans, I, I still think they, she, Emma and, and her management team, coaching team, needs to brief the players and make them fully aware of what to expect. So it's not something, so they're, they're in, they can anticipate it and, um, and react positively to it and, I, and not be deflected from the game plan, you know, because there are fans there and so forth. But I mean, I think this is the, 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 the a lot of, um, you know, diehard professional warriors, these players now. And I think they're, I, I don't think they'll be too, um, deflected from the game because the fans are back. I think they'll be pleased and they'll be pre-matched, they'll be happy and smiling and waving and all that kind of stuff. But I think once the whistle goes, I think they'll be focused on on the game and then hopefully at the end of the game, they'll be suitably socially distanced from the fans and been able to come over and say hello at the, at the very least. So hopefully it'll be it's a win-win situation for the club and for the fans as well this weekend. Yeah, it should be a good game. Obviously, it's going to be a shame that we can't get as close to them as we'd mm. normally do. But just being able to go back to stadiums and watch games live, like in the flesh, is going to be brilliant. Yeah. West Ham sit ninth out of the 12 teams in the league with just four points picked up from their seven opening games. Mm. Um, recently, Matt Beard parted with the club and I don't think they've appointed a new manager as of no, such. No, I believe I believe the, the people. I think it's the goalkeeping coach. I think and um, the first team coach. I think um, I think it's Billy Billy Stewart and um, Paul McHugh, who's the first team coach. I think they'll be looking after the team uh, for the foreseeable until uh, until they get the player, that, uh, the manager that they want. But there's a reason why Mr. Beard left, you know. And I think it, it, it's he, he, I think he's he's intimated the fact is that if the investment in the team. Uh, it isn't forthcoming. I'm, I'm not saying that's the only reason why he left, but if the investment in the team isn't coming, then it's going to be very difficult, especially when you're coming up against sides who are investing in the, in, in the league, uh, in, the, in their teams. And um, they're sitting in, the, in that position, and I think that's the right position for them to be in, bearing in mind their investment. So whoever comes in has got to either work miracles or bring some money with him, perhaps, or herself, you know, who knows. But um, I think it's it's... It's not a surprise where West Ham are, 
But bearing in mind, I think they had a missed opportunity, like I said a, a, bit, a little bit earlier. They had the opportunity to bring in these elite World Cup winners if they, if they wanted to. And, um, and then just the general recruitment at this level is, is difficult. Brexit's going to make it more difficult. You know, West Ham in particular but have, have looked to the foreign market as their recruitment because they know there's a premium on the English players in general. So, you know, there's a barrier in terms of how much they're willing to, to spend on the squad. So with all these things, it's like a perfect storm all coming together. And um, as a consequence of that, they're missing out on being at the top end. At the top end. But having said that, they're, they're in a comfortable position in the sense that there's, there's teams below them and who will stay below them come the end of the season, I think of which Bristol City will be the, at the bottom. Yeah, whoever does come in, like the teams doing like last year obviously they got to the FA Cup final which was amazing for any team to get to a final is amazing but yeah it's going to be a lot of work to help them get back up yeah to where they should be yeah I think for anybody I don't know whether anybody watched the uh the the, I saw on BBC three and I think it was replayed on uh, BBC one relatively recently last season the sort of documentary uh, about West yeah I did I did watch that yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, it was, it was good. And I think you got a sense of uh, of, of the owners' sort of like um, frustration himself, the young Mr. young Mr. Sullivan. You know, I think he would love to sort of invest more in the players, and I think he got on well with Beard as well. So I think there was a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of missed opportunities there, and and because I think in general the club, the the, the main club, the men's club in particular, they weren't really invested enough and sufficiently in the women's side, and uh, despite the good intentions, because I think that although we're all you know, we're all Chelsea fans. I think we all we all want to see sort of the London clubs do well. We don't want we don't want there to be a northern powerhouse developing within the league, which is possibly what's developing at the moment. You know, Chelsea and Arsenal may be the only two teams from down south who 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 who, who are going to be challenging. I think, and uh, I think we want to see the likes of Spurs, and I think we want to see West Ham sort of like pushing forward as well. But that will only come with investment, and whoever takes over at West Ham. He's got his work cut out, really. To be perfectly honest, he's got to, he's, he or she's going to have to sort of work miracles there. They're going to get into into the middle in the middle part of the table, but I think they'll sit just comfortably a little bit above the relegation zone. So Emma's going to be looking for more fluid fluidity from her attacking players in this game. Mm. Do you think she's going to make many changes from the one-one draw against Arsenal? Um. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think she had people like Guru, Guru Wrighton, who was, who was just coming back from a little bit of an injury. She was on the bench against Arsenal, um, depending on, the st- on, on Fran's um, uh, uh, position. I think, uh, you know, I don't think she'll make too many changes. I think Guru is, is somebody who probably could come back in, could come in. Sam, I think, will start. I mean, she was on the bench against Arsenal, but I think, uh, I think she'll, she will start as well. So um, I think, you know, I think possibly they those two are the only two changes that, that could be made, but I don't think there'll be much difference. I don't think there'll be much difference from the one from the side that played Arsenal now. Yeah, no, I don't think there's gonna be much of a yeah. difference in the team. What is your score prediction, Paul? My score I'm terrible. I'm terrible at score predictions, I have to say. I'm 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 useless. Uh, I will go for uh, all being well. If all works out well, they start well, they stick to the game plan for the 90 minutes, it should be a comfortable 4-5-0 victory. But to be perfectly honest, I would take a 1-0 win. Yeah, what was your score prediction, Dean? 
I've gone for six nil. You know, I think fans being back in the ground, a bit of a party atmosphere, they're gonna feel good. They're gonna obviously wanna showcase their attacking talents as much as they were sort of stifled against Arsenal. West Ham, obviously, no manager in a bit of a lot of crisis, but not sort of a sense of direction for them, I think. So, you know, I think you know, we're gonna get some goals. Yeah, I think four or f- like four or five, but like Paul said, I'm happy with a one nil win. A win is better than nothing. Yeah, I think if they if they, if they lose, it'll be a disaster. And I think you know that. I think there's no there's no two ways about that. I, I don't think anybody can seriously contemplate them not winning the game on Sunday. And um, yeah, four nil, five nil, six nil, one nil. You know, we'll take it all, won't we? Really, as long as the fans are there cheering them on, socially distanced with their masks and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting occasion, that's for sure, that's for sure. The fans are going to be as important as the players this weekend, I think, generally speaking, in the men's and the women's games. So and I think it's up to the fans to hopefully to respond, you know, appropriately as well and, 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 uh, and do the right thing and, 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 to, and to showcase that Chelsea can do the right thing and uh, so that when it comes to increasing the number of pl- uh, the opportunity to increase the volume of, of fans in there, Chelsea are handily placed because they know that Chelsea's, Chelsea's fans are responsible fans. And I think they will respond well as well on Sunday. I think it's going to be a good day Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be a special occasion. And you know, I'm excited to hear what um, you make of it, Jane, next week. Uh, for those of you not with a ticket, it's on the BBC Red Button at 12.30. So you can still watch it even if you're not physically present. I'll have to do that because I'm not a season ticket holder. No ticket for me. Um, so I'll have to wait for a bit longer. Uh, moving on. We didn't get any emails this week, Jane. So hopefully Claire's not the first and last email we ever get on this show. Um, remember, if you've got anything you want to say about the team, about the games, about the show, you know, get in touch with us at wenttomokingsmeadow at gmail.com. We will read any email out no matter how long or short, whatever you want to say, we'll get your two pence in for you. Um, that's all about it for this week. Um, Jane, been a pleasure. I'll see you next week where you can talk about being back at Kings Meadow. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. I'm so excited. I'll give you a wave, Jane. I'll give you a wave. Social distance wave. Yeah, social distance wave. Oh, absolutely. And Dean, you can get your season tickets sorted out when, when, and then, the, and we'll see you down there too soon. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as I can buy it. Uh, Paul, it's been a pleasure. I feel like I've learned so much tonight about um, sort of the team and the women's game from sort of that perspective. You know, I've followed the men's game for, for such a long time. I think we've worked together before on some websites for the men's team. So um, maybe I have to link up in the future on the women's game as well. Absolutely. Uh, you can see all of Paul's work at the Capital Football website, which is www.capitalfootball.co.uk. Um, the link for that will be in the description as well. So make sure you check out, check that out. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Mo Kings Meadow, me at Dean Mears, Jane at Jane Chapel X, and Paul at CFC Journo. Uh, we're also on Instagram at Went to Mo Kings Meadow. And remember to email us so we've got some more content for the show. They are nice to read on the main fan cast show. They're such a big part of it. And we want to sort of mirror that as well with the women's game. So, you know, get in touch. Uh, That's it. So until next time, Chelsea fans, from Kings Meadow to Wembley, keep that blue flag flying high.
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times.